0: Hey guys, Phil White here. This is the third of the Q and A's that Trish and I have done over the Physio Accelerator Facebook page. We'd love to have you join us for the next one, which is coming up in just two days time on June the 18th at 12.15 PM, Australian Eastern Standard Time. We've got a few listener questions lined up already. So if you want to get yours answered, make sure you get it in early. You can do that on the Facebook page or the Facebook event page, which you can find a link to in the description of this episode just wanted to let you know that there were some audio issues when we started this conversation so i've cut off the first few minutes to spare you of that hope you enjoyed today's episode and we'll see you on the live stream
1: we have been doing quite a bit of online so some online mentoring we have people doing a webinar series from last year um, and we've been doing quite a bit of online uh, tutoring. We've got some people in New Zealand and some down in Adelaide. And just this afternoon, again, this group that we've been mentoring for the last 12 months, they're doing online resources and then we're meeting at the practice straight after this where we will go through a live Q&A and uh, do you know, demonstrations and I find if they've looked at the information before online and then you can answer their questions and and often physios learn in a very physical way so that sometimes if they can have some face-to-face tutoring it helps so that's happening this afternoon but we've also had quite a diverse group of um, patients because I'm a specialist I often see, you know, quite unusual and complex presentations and These days I always see that patient with another physio and we have a a new physio who started with us. She's been out a couple of years, but I've been seeing a lot of these patients with her, which um, she said it's a great experience to see how the whole thing's put together. Uh, And, um, you know, if we have some time, I can talk about a couple of those clinical cases that we've seen this week.
0: Yeah, definitely. That would be a really handy one because there's, I guess, the, you, you kind of expect a, a standard patient coming through and when you've got a few uh, curveballs in there, it's like, do I stick to the usual line of questioning or do you try and go down each of the rabbit holes around the um, more complex ideas? So it'd be really good to get some some guidance from you about mm. uh, exactly how to approach that because, and, yeah. you know, can you get it all done in one appointment? Should you be rescheduling multiple sort of initials? I think that would be... Um, yeah, really handy to, to talk about. Mm. I've mean, a yeah. few complex people recently. Yeah. Um, and
1: to gauge personality-wise whether it's better to just keep things simple, you know, or they really value knowledge and they value information and so more information helps them and is beneficial and then there are other people that give them too much information and it overwhelms them. Yeah,
0: so. I've... Definitely found that with the few of the complex people I've seen where it's like they kind of almost latch on to that injury identity of having lots of past surgeries and lots of you know complicated sounding anatomical pathologies, and they really like almost wear that as a badge of like identity, I guess. and I sometimes you know do wonder, am I oh you know should you be feeding into that or trying to generalize things and um and mm-hmm. try and I guess normalize their view of their own body and that's um yeah, that's something, mm-hmm. like. Personally, for this Q and I'm stoked I'm in the driver's seat, so I could ask you all about that. Uh, well, later. there is, <laughs>
1: and there's one patient I think that you've seen, um, yeah. who as a child had loads and loads of surgery, and uh, he has done very well, but he has some he has some chronic pain issues. He's quite slack at doing his exercises, and he's put on a bit of weight, and he sits a lot. In his job and he gets very tight through his hips and his hip flexors and in his mind that is the issue his hip flexors and if they can get stretched out and released but he does have an overriding chronic pain and not very good at doing functional exercises. So to I found with him if you, if you give him a bit of what he believes is the problem, you know, some targeted releases and targeted stuff for his hip and then put that into a program, a pacing program of activity and things to work on his chronic pain and getting him to be, you know, have a stand-up desk and to be doing glued exercises in a pause thing it kind of you almost take them down the direction to address chronic pain even if they don't want to necessarily talk about that do you know what i mean
0: yeah definitely getting that little bit of buy-in uh by doing what they expect and hope and then trying to guide
1: them that extra up on their way
0: yeah well yeah. there you go that's um you know nice and handy for me for my own patient questions but yeah if you are watching live uh think about some of those tricky um patients that you've seen where you're just a bit stumped and you know you couldn't ask for someone better than trish to to guide you mm. through that so do get your questions in we've got um Maren richardson i just popping up her, and she's clicked the link on uh, Streamyard to so we can see her um name popping up and she's saying Marin here joining for the first time watching from south coast new south wales Great. Right. Um, yeah. Nice. Thanks. Thanks you so much to for tuning in. Um, I'm also in South Coast, New South Wales at the moment, down in uh, Jervis Bay. Not super south, but south enough for it to be very cold. So um, <laughs> I'm just shivering away here in this little um, sort of wooden shack without any insulation. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, thank you, Maren. Make sure, uh, do get a question in, Marin and we'll um, uh, we'll, yeah, definitely get to that before. Um, the show has ended but uh to start us off we did get a question um oh based in view oh you're around the corner like literally around the corner i'm currently in old rail bay so you're just there um well there you go okay so we'll we'll start off with uh philip Kondos' condos's question that she's posted um on the physio accelerator facebook page um, and she has said i'll just post it here in the comments um i don't think i'll be able to get to show up on the screen for everyone um she said hi trish i'm keen to ask you about the scenario where a patient presents with thoracic pain and segments of the t-spine are depressed to palpate um for palpation almost as if section of the t-spine uh kyphosis is flat or reversed the two patients i'm thinking of were late teenage boys both very tall thank you philippa Mm,
1: really good question philippa because i've seen this um My nephew has it. I have treated an elite cyclist who has it. I've treated an Australian-level rhythmic gymnast. And in actual fact, um, it generally is a localised thoracic uh, structural scoliosis, but it's to the ribs rather than the vertebra itself. And so what happens is instead of the vertebra and spine being very curved if if the spine is more rotated in the frontal in the horizontal plane can you see that that will then have a big effect on the ribs and so what it what happens is one side of the thoracic vertebra gets pulled posterior as those ribs rotate posterior and the other part of the of the thoracic vertebra is taken anterior as those ribs go anterior so because it's not a side flexion but more a rotation it actually looks like part of the thoracic spine is rotated and almost pushed into extension. So I think I've got a little picture here that I sent through to Phil. And this, you often see it um, clearly and know what it is. I treat quite a lot of kids before and after scoliosis surgery. So they come in to see me. One, the doc wants to know if there's anything we can do preoperatively. And also I'm used as a second opinion for parents to say, look, does my child really need this surgery because they don't have a lot of pain? And so if you look at the picture on the left, it's prior to them having the surgery. But the picture on the right is actually when they have had surgery. So the spine itself is straight. But can you see you've still got that rotation in the ribs that that the left side actually almost looks hyperextended? Um and the right ribs still come out because in a scoliosis of the thoracic spine that involves the ribs, no amount of straightening the spine actually will correct that rotation. And I think particularly saying in tall young boys, generally during that growth phase when they're growing quite quickly is when they may develop a this scoliosis or thoracic scoliosis rib based and my nephew didn't have it when he was 12 and he's now 16 and is very very unhappy because you know it changes the structure at the front so one of the things I would say Philippa is look at the ribs at the front because very commonly you will find that 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 rotation is translated anteriorly. So, for example, with this 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 young young person here, when you looked at them at the front, their ribs would be lower and stuck in expiration, and the other side would be higher and stuck in inspiration. So, they get structurally stuck that way, and it may well be that they then over time get some pain, some irritation, some stiffness, and they kind of get locked into that position and can't get themselves out of that position. So we tend to um, then we'll add add in some hands-on treatment to the thoracic spine and ribs. But they're young and they shouldn't need that much hands-on. It's really giving them some stretches and also some functional exercises that move them out of that kind of scolia, scoliosis position. So for this one that we're looking at, one of the things I would we would start off doing is mobilising them first into left side bending and left rotation and get those right ribs coming up into inspiration, the left down into expiration, but then maybe a home exercise program would be uh, a corkscrew stretch so that you're getting that rotation and keeping things mobile or a in doorway stretch and then some thoracic spine rotation with cable rows or with theraband so that you maintain that range and mobility of getting the thoracic spine, in this case, to come down and to the left as well as the right going up into inspiration, does that make so, sense, Phil?
0: Yeah, and so if you were to see the patient on the like him on the or him or her on the left versus on the right, would your um, management be much different, sort of pre or post surgery in that case? Like, are you still going to be working mm. on those same underlying um, things, even if structurally they've um, been a bit straightened up?
1: Yeah, it' really good question because we do see these. There is a critical angle in a scoliosis that you really, the research and longitudinal data shows that over a certain angle, and that varies a little bit, but, you know, if you have a a curvature of more than 40 degrees, the longitudinal studies show that you will that will continue with gravity to become more extreme whereas if you have a curvature of 25 degrees or 30 degrees it appears that you that can stay quite fixed and it it doesn't progress to be a worse scoliosis so when you look at a scoliosis like this and it doesn't give you the angles but just looking at that that's that's more than a 40 degree scoliosis. So when patients, when families come to me on advice, one, one should they have surgery? And two, are there exercises we can do for this? I'd say the research shows that this curvature will get worse if you don't have the surgery. Um, but saying that There's a huge amount you can do beforehand and after the surgery. So the exercises that I just spoke to you about, you know, getting thoracic spine rotation and the ribs moving into inspiration and expiration uh, are really good strategies pre-op. And the nice thing for scoliosis pre-op is swimming, because it moves that whole thoracic spine and it strengthens it, but you get some length as well. And it's really amazing when you look at someone after they've had this surgery, where you would think that they would have very little mobility through their thoracic spine. They can swim very well and we underestimate how much mobility we get from the ribs. A lot, you know, we've got 24 joints that are not fused in the thoracic spine. And we actually use those every time we breathe in, the ribs go up into inspiration, and every time we breathe out, they go back down into expiration. So if you were going to do some treatment for this person um, after the surgery, you wouldn't be working on the spine. Do you know, You'd be wasting your time and just irritating everybody and taking their money for illusion if you thought you were going to go in and mobilise those facet joints because it's fused. But getting the ribs to be able to move up into inspiration and or down into expiration and, you know, we, we teach a lot on the thoracic spine course about understanding the kinematics of ribs and how they work dynamically with our body. But... If you think about it, your ribs need to come up into inspiration when you lift your arm up, and they need to go down into expiration if you take your arm down and behind your back. So swimming does does exactly that, and having programs that work the ribs through dynamic movements from inspiration to expiration. Uh, these young kids, you you wouldn't realize that they um, have had scoliosis surgery in the thoracic spine Uh, looking at their movement it's quite amazing how much mobility they can get from everywhere
0: else and just before we do we've got a a couple of comments and questions here Mm. Um, but before we do go on Are there any with someone with significant spinal um, surgery like that where they've got pins and rods going through there are there Mm. particular contraindications of any type of exercise or movements that you'd really stick away from or
1: um I would the thoracic spine's very limited in hyper extension anyway, but I would stay away from any hot hy- thoracic hyperextension. Uh rotation, you know, the thoracic spine, the facet joints are quite you know they're fused and you've rotation will help with the mobility around the ribs and the musculature around there but it once they once they come to you once they're you know 12 weeks you usually don't see them till 12 weeks after the surgery that that is quite solid through those facet joints but again they, they you don't benefit from doing a lot of hyperextension or really even forced flexion work. It's much yeah. better to work on functional rotation.
0: Nice. Um, and just on on Philippa's question, um, when she's saying it seems like the T spine a depressed palpation almost if the T spine is kyphosis or like almost into um like a lordosis. A so I think yeah. So would that always happen with a scoliosis or can it just be that they'd still have a fairly straight spine, but she's just like I guess that pigeon chested <laughs> sort of um, thing that tall boys yeah. can get with their um, uh, uh, breathing issues and
1: yeah, breathing yeah. issues definitely can do it. Do you know, if they're if they're breathing here and they have that kind of, I think they call it a pigeon chest, but yeah. that tends to a pigeon chest tends to make them fun, more kyphotic at that right, level, yeah. not lordotic. The ones that I have seen though that are lordotic in the thoracic spine there's a couple one one is a young guy he was a painter um, and he had multiple fell off a, a high building had multiple fractures through his lumbar spine so he had a t no an l2 to l5 lumbar fusion and he was quite young and he he got back to painting up ladders and he was spending a lot of time doing work above his head so he just developed a low thoracic lordosis yeah, right. because it, where else <laughs> where yeah, else was he going to get his extension and yeah. so if he did too much of that he he would get pain in that area and so you know initially we gave him did a little bit of hands-on, but then we gave him strategies of being able to self-mobilise exercises that did pull him into flexion rotation in that area. So with Philippa saying, if it's not one-sided, if it's just one or two areas that are extended. Do you know the other thing that I've seen, and I haven't seen any research on it, but with the, at the increase in the amount of gaming, and that they'll often sit, you know, quite kyphotic in the lumbar spine, and then looking up at a right. screen to game in. And if that becomes their posture, you know, if someone if someone can develop a thoracic lordosis because they've got a lumbar spine fusion, it's quite possible that that, you know, if you're in that posture, that just becomes your go to posture. That you're flexed through the lumbar spine and you extend through the thoracic spine. So. Yeah. It's just it could well be habitual and then you lock down there. So you can do some work to mobilize it. But the other thing would be to give them some exercises where you get them into more of a lumbar lordosis and train them to move their thoracic spine into flexion.
0: Yeah, perfect. So trying mm-hmm. to get, I guess, each of the segments moving a bit more independently instead of having one sort of leverage point would be the... Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and that they have to be a bit interesting, that age group... To, you know adolescents have a very low tolerance to boring exercises. Yeah. So I'll tend to give them ones that they they can do you know even in front of the TV or that they don't have to think too much about you know you nice. just tell them because um yeah they have a very low tolerance I think unless sure. unless they think it's that you've got good buy-in nice. which is good.
0: So, we've got a comment from um, Namita here saying, Hi, mm-hmm. Trish uh, from Adelaide. Uh, really nice uh, to be here and such a privilege to learn from you as always. Nice one, Namita. Thanks for joining us. Do get a question in. It's a great opportunity to, um, you know, really, if you've, especially if you've done courses with Trish before, ask any follow up questions or just any tricky patients you've got um, coming in. And we've got uh, Marin Richardson, um, who's down in Basin View right near me. Um, Saying, hi Trish, any advice on how to get the patients to commit to their lumbar core stability programs or hip tendon management programs? My patients often have um, to have goals, e.g. to continue playing um, bowls, but are uh, really only grade one exercise level. So definitely I'm sure the compliance with exercise programs is (laughs) always one of the biggest things.
1: And it's one that I've spent a lot of time working on because you can have the perfect rehab program, as you said, but um, if they're not compliant, it's not going to work. And I remember at the, at the World Physio Conference in Singapore, they were saying it's one of the, the largest, biggest issues facing physiotherapy is actually compliance, do you know? So I think um, one of the things that I try to do really early on in the session is say, okay, this is this is what's going on. Where? What are your goals? Where do you want to get to? So you know, if you want to get back to running ten k or or riding a bike, great. Okay, well that's that's your goal. The research, the current research says, if we're going to work on your tendon program, do you know that's we'll we'll look at being able to get you back there. For example, in Let's look at it in four months, if you're consistent with your program. Uh, So what do we have to do in these four weeks so that in four months you can be doing this? And so what I would say, Marin, is you know there's a long term and you've said to them that this is going to take four months before you get back running or at that level on the bike but let's just focus on what you can do these four weeks. And the thing that I also find is we've really progressed onto PhysiTrack where you have videos and reps and we grade all of our exercises. So we'll say this is a grade one. If you can really work on these isometrics for a week, If I see you in a week's time, I'd really like to take that exercise from a grade one to a grade two. And I think one of the difficulties with compliance for exercise programs is that we don't actually give them, you know, smart goals. We don't make them specific. We don't make them time-based, you know we don't make them relevant. I think telling the person why you're doing this exercise and why it's relevant to them is um, important and and targeted. If, If they struggle with time, say, what I often say is, if you struggle with time, find a Netflix program that you like watching and no one else in the family. So when you're doing your exercises, you put your Netflix on so you at least get to see that program by yourself while you're doing your exercises. And that may sound silly, but at least it's, it's a bit like, you know, if you do your homework, then you can have a piece of chocolate. You know, it's, there's a reward. And people don't inherently get the reward from doing rehab exercises, I think, for the first you know, often the first four weeks, you know, they're working hard at them, and it may take a little while, particularly with tendon issues, to um, improve. the yeah. The other thing I would say there, Marin, is in the second session we try to have set up a flare up strategy. So when you do a bit too much and it's flared up, it's not broken; it's just overdone so this is your flare-up strategy and start a pacing strategy because I think if they we can make them be self-aware that okay I was going really well and the exercises were working and then I wore six inch stilettos to a wedding and I stood all day and the next three days my glute tendinopathy was really bad you know often they'll come in and say oh, this isn't working, you know, I was feeling really good but now my hip pain's back. And if you've already started a pacing program, you can say, yes, but what happened on Sunday? Oh, yeah, I wore six-inch stilettos and I was standing all day. And if that's a different load, they start to understand these flare-ups can be modified by what they do away from us and, um, I think that can also help but i think you've got to start that quite early
0: yeah can i just throw my two cents in on this one yeah um yeah we found like if you've got a a place that if it's you know constantly people who want to get after their lawn bowls and it's um and you've found that you've seen a lot of patients from that same lawn bowl center um center is that the right word mm. uh, club um coming in uh We've done this with a boxing gym near our um, clinic setup um, in North Sydney where they just kept on coming in with wrist pain and had some little issues where they just had getting these like load management issues wrong and never doing warm ups, just getting straight into high intensity interval stuff um, in a challenge sort of scenario. So we actually just approached the, um, the boxing um, circuit gym and said like, hey, can we make a little warm up program for you? We filmed it. Um, we got playing in their, um, in their sort of area, their warm up zone. Before they um, go th- go through their whole um, sort of setup, and then now they've got, you know, people just will jump in, do a three or f- three to five minute warm up, and I think it's just easier when it's part of their exercise habit already. Because trying to get people to do something mm. when it's not part of their habit is just like you know the hardest thing. But if they're mm. already going to bowls and they've put on their you know um, their uniform and they've got their sneakers on and they're kind of prepared to do a bit of exercise already with bowls um having it there and kind of combined it's i I feel like it's easier to stack habits rather than making sort of separate habits so yeah you might i don't know might find that if you can do that with the the bowls group and just get them even if it's like a, a poster on the wall or or something like that um you might also get that positive um marketing of you know having your your name there and other people doing this and if it can become part of the culture like people like us do things like this is what Seth Godin always says about um how to make a change in in a culture is is to really get people if you're getting people in your community on board then like it's normalized and easy to do so Mm. yeah we found that to be really um successful with our um compliance for
1: Mm, that's a great great way video is is quite powerful that's how I find with with PhysiTrack and the other thing is people, even people who are retired, have very busy lives. Like there's yeah. so much in their face and, you know, putting getting them to put a reminder twice with my really non-compliant, I get them to put it in at like 9am in the morning and 3pm yeah. in the afternoon. And if they've ignored the exercises in the morning, they actually feel guilty when the second reminder comes yeah. up, Do you know, yeah. because i do think to change a behavior you've got to bring it up to a conscious level till you've practiced it enough that it can then become subconscious
0: definitely so um, maybe and if- i know you, you guys use fizzy track a lot and that also for us has been good if there's certain people who compliance is really an issue like kind of put the um have it by making them have to have to take it off in fizzy track that they've done it um for certain people they really mm. just you know, that that works for them. Other people, it just totally turns them off, but...
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's a, right. And repetitive. it's a personality thing, oh, you, totally know? Right. Yeah. you know. know, um, But hopefully, has that answered your question? Yeah, no,
0: great um, great question there, Marin. Please fill up if you have any more. Um, Namita, I'm challenging you to get a question in. You've been sitting there and watching, but you haven't got your question in. Um, and we do have just about eight minutes left of the live stream. So um, just a few more minutes to get your questions in and get um, another one answered. Um, and remember, I've just got a little banner here showing you the link to the podcast. So if you haven't um, already subscribed to the podcast, um, do get that happening. It's really good. Uh, Trish is just an absolute powerhouse of information. I was like, hey, have you considered doing a podcast? And then she's recorded 25 episodes and they're all absolute gold. Um, some of the early ones are more about the her career and um, you know how she ended up having just such an interesting and um, impressive career. But then it goes on as the current episodes are getting um more into i guess private practice life and how to really enjoy um, what you're doing and and to feel confident in um in clinical skills so um yeah they're a bit of a journey you get definitely get some good um uh, handy takeaway tips from them and yeah hopefully those early career ones as well will uh yeah make you approach some of the challenges in your career in a pragmatic sort of way because yeah some of those early episodes with some of the things you went through full on (laughs) yeah
1: and and I couldn't have I couldn't have survived that without having a team around me of you know physio friends or or mentors or people that you could get advice from or ask a question I just think it's so important to you we're so much stronger together and I and I feel really important if through, through this and through the podcasts and through the Physio Accelerator, we can be there to give people one, a sounding board, but also a little bit of support where they don't feel they're supported or in an area that they just feel like they're, they're, their confidence isn't where they like it to be. You know, that's then for me really worthwhile. Because, you know, physios are such a, a dedicated bunch generally.
0: Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, Could I... D-
1: no, sorry? Go on. on. <laughs> no, no, you go
0: on. Uh, um, just on the confidence side of things, we do have a page on our website with free resources. And one of those is a um, guide for um, people in the private practice space about what to do in your first couple of sessions um, and a bit of a plan about what you might do in a series of appointments. So that can be a really good... Um, one to check out if you go to physioaccelerator.com um, and free resources and then also and there we've got a link to um, the private practice onboarding course that Trish put together with the um, the APA which is just a, a must for people starting off in private practice space it gives a really great overview and a good framework to approach um, all of those tricky um, like spine and hip and pelvis um, cases that are always the hardest just want to get you know some um, people with uh, ATFL injuries but you always get those um tricky back injuries so uh, mm-hmm. the onboarding course is excellent for that so do go to our website the physioaccelerator.com and you can find it there uh, we I do game we'll plan.
1: giving the, yeah. you know I think ga- having a game plan that you walk out and okay this person's got back pain I've got a game plan I can adjust it but I know where I'm going gives you a lot of confidence I think
0: definitely and that's what that mm. course does so well and quite efficiently it's a lot of information but all packed into a um you know a course that won't take you weeks to complete so um, do check and it out and you
1: can ask questions here do you know exactly that right. is the whole reason why i'm here so that
0: get that follow-up mm. um so namita has put in a comment saying Hi, okay. Trish, i know this is a big discussion question but i uh, would love to get your advice thoughts on uh, thought to be on yoga and Pilates based rehab for chronic low back pain, especially for patients who have a high um, who have high fear avoidance.
1: Mm. Um, I think you know the research says that the the more chronic their pain, the the more moving towards functional movement patterns and building confidence in movement and and decreasing their kinesiophobia is incredibly important, and and I think making the movements functionally goal orientated. So, what do they want to get back to in in life, in in work, in sporting activities? So, um, yoga and Pilates. I think I think Pilates can have its place I mean we do do Pilates along with bounce back but there I don't know if it's everywhere in Australia but I think it's predominantly Pilates tends to people perceive it as a female kind of thing to do and yoga as well I know men who have done yoga classes and feel like they're you know the odd one out and now there are good male you know ones who are based for men, both in Pilates classes and yoga classes. But do you know, I think there's a lot of other things too for chronic low back, if we wanna get back into functional movements. Do you know, if if you want someone who feels better in a flexion-based kind of movement pattern, encouraging them to go and join a bit of a cycling group and just start off easy or have, go to the gym and be able to do some cycling. Or um, if they're better with an extension-based movement pattern and they get stiff through their hips, then joining a, work, a walking group. There's, they've just started in our local area, a, man, a men's walk and talk group. And there's some people in there with back pain, but they were saying that a lot of them weren't very fit at the beginning but because they're all together and they're talking and they're walking and the sun's shining they've just gradually increased how far everybody walks and nobody really notices that that over the time they're walking a lot more because they're in a community and i think group-based exercise has a lot of positive psychosocial benefits so um i think all of those those things are good for people with chronic chronic low back pain, but it doesn't have to be just pilates or yoga. I think it can be you know very social, non non-low back pain programs as such that can have really beneficial effects. So hopefully that answered your question, Namita.
0: Yeah, definitely. Thank you for getting a question in Namita And uh, Meryn Richardson, just before we finish off, has said, connecting in this way has been really wonderful. Thank you both for sharing your knowledge and support. Uh, oh, well, thank Maren, you so much for tuning right. in, Maren. Really appreciate it. And um, we've got Namita saying, thanks a lot, Trish. This helps a lot. Um, well, I know that you do have to get off and get to your next group of people that you're educating. Uh, yes. Got, yeah. Um, and this is for the last year's um, finishing off the big mentoring course, which is what I did. And it's something that we've got in the works for uh, coming to the online space. So uh, yeah, watch this space. Um, the, yeah, the course that we've currently got up online is sort of the, the, um, the taster version of it, where it's you know some really good um, yeah, fr- a framework to approach your um, you know, lower back and uh, your, your spine and, and hip and pelvis uh, conditions. But this course that you're about to go off and teach now and that we're bringing online later in the year, Ah, uh, that's the real um, that's deep, the dive. <laughs> yeah. that's deep dive.
1: Yeah, deep dive. Deep dive, but it you know it looks at all the facets from assessment, treatment, manual therapy, differential diagnosis, onto exercises and psychosocial strategies. And we've tried to create a lot of resources that you can use in the practice. So that's why we're taking a little bit of time because I really want to get all the resources in it so that when you when you do it you go away with something that you can use in the yeah. clinic
0: a, a few resources Important. is the under understatement of the century i feel like every time i turned up to that group i went away with like another binder full of uh, yeah amazing worksheets that just had yeah really take you through it so uh watch this space it's coming but yeah we're just trying to get it right first so thank you so much for um for everyone who did uh tune in today and ask questions it's really nice to get um questions in from other people um you know, I'm pretty happy just getting it all to myself, um, getting Trish all to myself with the questions. But yeah, excellent to have some other people um, tuning in live. So thank you so much for that. Um, we'll be back in a month, so over that time, keep an eye out for those uh, tricky patients you have in the clinic, or um, if you, you know, if you do any of the courses or le- uh, watch the podcasts or check out the free resources, um, note down some questions and get them in for next time. Um, thank you so much, and thanks, Trish and thanks phil and for your input
1: way. too it's always i always love listening to to um your insight
0: oh it's really great to, have a, great to all have a discussion and, and as said, camping this way is really is really nice so um yep. thanks guys and uh looking forward to doing it again in a month
1: great thank, thank you for you your time, time phil and bye to everyone bye. bye
0: thank you for listening to the physio accelerator podcast if you'd like to find out more about what we do head to the physioaccelerator.com while you're there, don't forget to sign up for our email list for more great insights from Trish and information about our upcoming courses. Before you go, if you think of a friend or a colleague who would benefit from listening to this podcast, make sure you send it their way. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.